0: Thank you for tuning in to this webinar, Evaluating Opportunity for Business Valuations and Transactions During COVID-19. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH. With decades of experience in successions, mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures, AGH's succession and exit planning team is here to help clients do it right. Given the implications and its importance, AGH has built up the resources and expertise to offer a holistic and comprehensive, yet tailored and straightforward process for business owners. Today's speakers are Kathy Mitchell and Todd Richardson. Kathy provides valuation and tax services as well as estate and gift tax consulting, primarily to closely held and family-owned businesses. She's completed extensive training in business valuation, including the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants Accreditation and Business Valuation, or the ABV, credential. Todd leads AGH's M&A and Corporate Finance Services team. He works with family-owned and closely-held entrepreneurial businesses, which are developing exit strategies and undergoing ownership transitions. His practice includes advising on ownership transitions, including management-led buyouts, transfers of ownership to the next family generation, sales of business operations to third parties, sales to employee stock ownership plans, and other exit strategies. He also advises on the buy side as well. COVID-19 has wreaked havoc on businesses, but rather than sit on the sidelines and watch, now may be the right time to get in the game to sell or transition a business. We'll cover the impact of COVID-19 on the valuation process, whether such values are depressed or inflated, there may be estate planning or transaction opportunities to take advantage of now before values rebound or changes occur with the approaching election cycle.
1: Todd and I will address the impact of COVID-19 on business valuations after reviewing how business valuations are performed, how COVID-19 affects the business transaction market, and finally, strategies to mitigate related challenges, and to exploit any opportunities related to this pandemic. As a foundation for our presentation, I want to give you an overview of the business valuation process, and at each step, I'll discuss COVID-19's pervasive impact. We start out here in the upper left-hand corner with a review of the business's History, nature, and its documents, including a site visit, unless it's a service industry. We move across in this process to normalizing a company's financial performance by looking at its income statements and projections. The company's past in light of COVID-19 may no longer be a good indicator of its future. And I will touch on normalizing uh, financial performance and what that means a little more in depth subsequently. We move across to evaluating a company's financial condition by looking at its balance sheet in light of the economic conditions and industry conditions, which have been severely impacted again uh, by covid At this point in the valuation process, we understand the company's underlying uh, value drivers and we're ready to apply valuation methods. Then we move on down to apply valuation adjustments, if applicable, such as a discount for lack of control or marketability. And finally, we conclude a company's value, whether it be fair market value, fair value or strategic value, Uh, Such value depends on the standard of value that's applicable uh, to the valuation. The first step in the valuation process, as I stated, is we look at a company's underlying legal documents, such as articles of incorporation and bylaws for S and C corporations and operating agreements for partnerships and LLCs. After reviewing those documents, we always ask uh, if a buy-sell agreement is available, if one has been put into place. Buy-sell agreements are also known as business prenups, which is what Charles Koch, in his book, The Good Profit, calls these documents, because he puts one in place at the signing of any contract to take an equity investment in a company, in my experience, these agreements uh, can be either ticking time bombs or reasonable resolutions. And of course, a reasonable resolution is what you want to shoot for, but I'll give you a couple of examples um, in which these documents were actually ticking time bombs. The first is a company that was owned by equally by a brother and sister, and their buy-sell agreement was signed back in the 70s, and at that time, they signed an agreement that said if either died, his or her estate would be bought out at net book value. That's an example of a fixed formula type buy-sell agreement and net book value in this case, which is assets minus liabilities and of course assets are after depreciation, that net book value was dramatically less than fair market value and that was not either's intent Uh, if one of them died, uh, for their estate to be bought out at, and they immediately contacted their attorney to have that changed. Another example of a ticking time bomb of a buy-sell agreement uh, was with a company that was owned equally by two unrelated parties. And in their buy-sell agreement, they had a fixed dollar value that they had thought the business would be worth down the road of about $20 million. Well, when one of the two owners died unexpectedly, the va- the value of the entire company was worth less than ten million. But the remaining owner had to go had to litigate with the estate of the deceased owner in order to convince that estate uh, executor that the company didn't have ten million to pay according to this buy sell agreement. The point of these uh, two ticking ticking time bomb examples is that. Uh, you should check and see if you have a buy-sell agreement in place. And if you don't, you might consider getting one. I don't recommend either a fixed formula such as net book value in example one or a fixed dollar amount uh, such as in example two uh, in any instance. Here are some of the elements you should look for in your buy-sell agreements if you have them, or have them put into a buy-sell agreement if you have one written. With regard to this piece, which is setting the price and is most relevant to the work I do, I do have a a Chris Mercer checklist that's really helpful and I've shared with attorneys and others before. And if you're interested in reading that, please email me and I'll send that to you. But please check and see if you have a buy-sell agreement Which brings us to polling question number one, which you need to answer if you would like CPE for your attendance today. That question is, do you have a buy-sell agreement in place? Your choices are yes, no, I don't know, and not applicable. Um, After reviewing the company documents, the next step in the valuation process is to normalize a company's income statement. In fact, Warren Buffett, who would attribute much of his fortune to his expertise in valuing businesses, states that accounting numbers are not are the beginning, not the end of business valuation. And what he means by that is that rarely can you just take a company's financial statements and value the business with those. They need to be adjusted. Normalization removes items that aren't part of normal operations under new ownership, and that's a necessity. Todd and I have never valued a business without at least a few normalization adjustments, and they can be positive or negative. I've listed a few examples here for you of normalization adjustments. One, removing extraordinary transactions such as a lawsuit, because that's non-recurring. You don't expect that to happen in the future, or at least you hope it's not part of your uh, recurring business operations. The second example is adjusting expenses to a market level. Any payment to or from a related party made by a business is evaluated to determine if that payment or receipt is at a market rate. Uh, An example would be I valued business a couple of summers ago in which the owner paid his wife $50,000 a year to be secretary treasurer of the company. And to determine if that was at a market rate, I asked him what a new owner would pay his wife or her replacement to perform those duties of secretary treasurer, and he admitted to me that a new owner or her replacement would be paid nothing. For those services. So if I had not made that $50,000 adjustment in that example uh, for that company, I would have undervalued that company by a quarter of a million dollars because the relevant multiple was five. So these adjustments are impactful and they do illustrate that valuation is more than just applying a multiple to your books as uh, stated. Another item is uh, eliminating non-operating items. Such as um, assets that are part personal, part business, like airplanes. And finally, we, we also today have to consider normalization adjustments related to COVID-19, such as if there is a division of the company that's going to be closed uh, due to COVID, the results, positive or negative that, of that division would need to be adjusted out of the earnings stream because the future, which is what valuation is, um that will not include that division of the company. An additional item related to COVID 19 might be additional accounting or legal expenses related to dealing with some of the legislative benefits um, like the payroll or paycheck protection program, et cetera. Those might be some additional expenses that would need to be normalized out of a company's earnings stream. After we normalize a company's income statement and analyze its balance sheet in light of COVID-impacted industry and economic uh, conditions, we now understand a company's value drivers. Value drivers either increase growth of or reduce risk underlying future cash flow. And that's the important word, future, because that's what a buyer would be buying is a company's future, not its past. Another on-point Buffettism uh, related to value drivers is that if past cash flow was all there was to the game of business valuation or investment, the richest people would be librarians, and Mr. Buffett is not a librarian. I've got listed here a few uh, key drivers which increase value. The reverse of all of these bulleted items would decrease value. So the reverse is true. And I'll touch on a few of these. A competent management team makes a company more valuable than having one manager, one sole manager with all of the company's processes and procedures and relationships with customers and vendors in his or her head because it reduces risk underlying risk of the company to have a team as opposed to one manager. A diversified customer base also increases a company's value. An example to illustrate this would be if I have two identical companies in the same industry and they both have a million dollars of EBITDA or earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, but company A has one customer And company B has 20 customers, none of which represent 10% or more of revenue of that company. Clearly, company B with the 20 customers would be worth more than company A with one customer, simply due to the risk of all of your revenue being attributable to one customer. And I actually valued a company like that and discounted heavily. Uh, due to that risk, and the statute of limitations has passed, and we have not heard from the IRS, uh, so I think they had to have agreed with my discounting uh, due to that risk. Uh, Moving down this bulleted list, proprietary products increase a company's value unless um, the company has a patent which it's not defending, and uh, sometimes attorneys have told companies that Uh, The cost-benefit is not there to defending a a patent from being violated, in which case it's the same as not having a proprietary product. Non-compete agreements with key employees mitigate the risk uh, to a company of that key employee leaving and taking uh, customers and sales, perhaps. And finally, a management succession plan also reduces risk. Mr. Buffett actually requires all of his Berkshire Hathaway company managers to update a management succession plan annually. So I think he believes that it reduces risk as well and increases value. After these prior steps in the business valuation process, we are ready uh, to apply methods to value the company. Valuation experts and courts prefer that we use at least two methods, and the Supreme Court in particular prefers that at least one of those methods be in this market-based approach column over here. There are multiple methods. I've just listed a couple as examples under the three approaches, asset, income, and market approaches to valuation. Under the asset approach, pre-COVID, We mainly use this method for maybe companies that didn't have much cash flow or they were holding companies. Under COVID, I'll share shortly that it's a little more applicable because there are more companies with no cash flow. Under the income-based approach, there are a couple of methods that we would typically look at, either a capitalization of historical earnings or discounted future cash flow And the latter method, the discounted future cash flow, is really applicable to startups that have no cash flow currently, and so we're using management projections to come up with the value of the company because they have no historical earnings, so the cap of earnings would not be um, even able to be applied with no historical earnings. Finally, under the market-based methods, there are a couple of methods we look at. The guideline public company method, and that's really for large companies because size matters. So this method is not as applicable as the merger and acquisition transaction database method. We pay for access to several databases of actual merger and acquisition transactions, and we filter that database by industry, size, et cetera, to glean multiples that we can then apply to the subject company we're valuating. COVID-19, just like every other step of the valuation process, has also impacted our valuation approaches. Under the asset approach, I, I said previously that we've, prior to COVID, mainly applied that to holding companies such as real estate holding companies, or maybe companies that had no cash flow. Now we're, we're using that method more because it's important as at least a floor value. The income approach, we are more often using a discounted normalized cash flow as the best methodology with a risk-adjusted interest rate and multiple scenarios and probabilities based on management's projections And this is especially applicable to most companies we're seeing because their future, at least their immediate future, is not the same as their past. Uh, Things that management should consider in forecasting in light of COVID would include, uh, are there more businesses failing so there's less competition? Uh, Furthermore, what about rent for bricks and mortar? Will that rent be decreasing in the future because more employees may be working remotely? Those are just a couple of the considerations management needs to address when preparing projections for us to use a discounted cash flow analysis for valuation because the past may no longer predict a company's future. Under the market approach, uh, I told you we searched databases to find multiples that may be applicable to a company. Most of the time, these multiples we find, because they're based on past transactions, may need to be adjusted downward. But there are some industries, and I'll I'll get into that subsequently, for which the multiples may be higher, and those are typically essential industries, as you might uh, expect. We apply these multiples to EBITDA, which, as I said earlier, is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, revenue streams, and other bases. But there's even a new uh, base that we're looking at now, and there are lots of new acronyms under COVID. And this one is EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, and coronavirus. So... We're calculating new bases, and it's it's literally um, this pandemic has changed uh, the entire evaluation process, including our vocabulary for acronyms. We are now, we have just completed this step in the process where we discuss value drivers and value methods. We then apply valuation adjustments, as I stated, discounts if applicable, and we conclude the company's value. This value is as of a point in time just like uh, publicly traded stocks it's as of it's good for a point in time for example a publicly traded stock value was probably different at January 1st 20 than it was at March 31st 20 this may be the same for closely held businesses In choosing that point in time or valuation date that we're going to value a business, the date either pre or post COVID-19 matters because in valuing a company, only circumstances existing at the valuation date should be considered. So if I'm engaged to do a valuation as of 12-31-19 COVID and it's, Devastating impact on some industries was not known at 1231 19. So, my standards preclude me from considering a COVID impacted cash flow stream if I have a valuation date at 1231 19, because most experts believe that COVID was not known or knowable and therefore considerable during evaluation process until late February or early March of 2020. So use an evaluation uh, with evaluation date pre-COVID-19 uh, with caution. That brings us to our next polling question, which is, do you think your company's value was different at March 31st, 20, than at 1231, 19 And the answers are yes, no, I don't know, or not applicable. Please answer this question if you would like CPE. Your answers are confidential. Uh, We're just asking uh, what your opinion is. There's no right or wrong answer. Furthermore, beyond the valuation date choice being impacted by COVID, uh, COVID also impacts value because of the legislative benefits that were enacted. Um, And these have to be considered for business valuation purposes, because as I go through this list, you'll see that each of these items and more acronyms, of course, impact cash flow and potentially a company's liabilities, both of which impact value. I've listed uh, the items that we consider in doing evaluation, the Paycheck Protection Program, these different loans and grants, um, the Small Business Debt Relief Program and their employee retention credits and payroll tax deferrals. In addition to those programs, There are business income tax changes, which I've listed, and most of these have become more lenient, and that's why they positively impact cash flow. Any of these that were known or knowable as of the valuation date have to be considered. So if the valuation date is March 31st, for example, many of these were applied for and therefore would be considered in a valuation Valuation pundits estimate that 10 to 25 there's been a 10 to 20 percent decline in overall closely held business value due to these factors which reduce value, and those are lower cash flow, higher risk, and lower expected growth. If the reverse is true, obviously value could be increased. However, some industries, such as essential services, have experienced an increase in value. To my point that some industries values have increased during COVID, I present this slide that shows you that healthcare has essentially remained flat, whereas technology and telecom have increased. The biggest loser, of course, based on this data set as of May 8, 2020, was energy at the, uh, the far end of the spectrum. Todd will now cover some of the underlying factors behind these value changes and our other learning objectives.
2: Thanks, Kathy. There's an old saying, may you live in interesting times, and it's never been more applicable than it is today. The sheer number of businesses and industries that have been affected by COVID 19 is something we haven't seen before in our lifetime. In the impact, is numerous in the business transaction market the last graph that kathy showed illustrated the extent to which business values across several industries have been affected by covid the slide this slide lists many of the considerations that have contributed to the decline in those business values but in the interest of time i'm only, only going to address a few of these today first off i want to address the economic considerations both business revenue and cost structures have been impacted by COVID. The way in which business is conducted has been fundamentally transformed from this point going forward. Brick and mortar businesses have been more greatly affected than online retailers. I read in a recent article that in the United States, there is a 25 square foot per capita of retail brick and mortar space available in our country. This is four times the level of the next highest country available. There have been numerous announcements recently of high-profile store closings across the country, and many of these stores are closed for good. If your business lends itself to online retailing, now could be the time to make the appropriate investment. Supply chains for many businesses have also been disrupted by the pandemic. If you're a business that sources a significant amount of your materials from foreign countries, you could be in a position where you're trying to scramble to find a domestic alternative. And even if you are able to locate or secure a domestic alternative supplier, you have to wonder, can the materials or parts required be purchased at a reasonable price given what you had before? Or will you now face pressures to increase your prices to the end customer in order to maintain your profitability? Political and government considerations are also present, as adding to the uncertainty of the COVID-19 influence is the fact that 2020 is an election year. Political motives and narrative have and they will influence the length and severity of the COVID-19 Uh, pandemic and its impact on business, possibly possible new regulations, revised income tax rates, structures, or just a couple of additional concerns that could accompany this year's election. Another consideration that's received heightened attention is that surrounding technology. COVID-19 has presented a real-life test of each business's capability to operate in the face of a challenge. For many businesses, businesses, business didn't stop. What changed was the way in which business had to be conducted. Those businesses which were already set up to receive online orders and route documents through electronic workflow processes were much better equipped to handle the pandemic than those which weren't. Those that were not were faced with tasking their IT departments to develop something in short order and many of those companies found themselves behind the curve. The ability to operate remotely has also become uber important. Many functions can be done remotely, which allow businesses to continue to operate. The pandemic has brought about renewed attention to having the tools in place to allow remote access while maintaining security over company data. The last consideration here that I want to speak to is that of competition. In times like these, it's likely that many of your smaller competitors aren't going to make it. If you are not one of these companies, ask yourself are you positioned to take advantage of any new sales and market opportunities to expand your business and increase your customer base and attract new customers? Likewise, if your plan is to exit the business in the next couple of years, now maybe an opportunity to sell the business and you question who should you look at as potential buyers for your business if that is the case. Likely suitors could include a significant customer or a vendor as they're probably already familiar with the industry and the acquisition of your business could better position them in the future. Another option will be a competitor that's in another market that may be looking to expand into your market. It's frequently an attractive option in the sense that for growing acquisition-minded businesses as it is a faster way to grow, and in many cases, a less expensive way to grow as well. This leads us into polling question number three. What impact do you think COVID-19 has had on your business value? Significantly reduced? Slightly reduced? no change, increased, or you don't know. Please remember your responses are confidential and won't be shared with the audience, but it's just more so to give us an idea uh, of where uh, you see the marketplace right now. COVID has had a substantial impact on business transactions in the market. In many instances, huge discounts may be applied to businesses that have not demonstrated themselves to be pandemic resistant or even essential businesses. The most obvious of these businesses are those that are in the hospitality, restaurant, food service, and travel industries. But there are many more. It's to be expected that all uncertainty created by COVID-19 would create uncertainty in the MA transaction market as well. In my practice, I deal mostly with small, Non publicly traded businesses. A common element that most of these businesses share is the amount of the owner's personal wealth represented by the business. It's estimated that approximately 80% of a small business's owner's net worth is tied up in the value of the business. With COVID 19 negatively affecting most business values, the wealth of the respective owners has also seen a corresponding decrease. If these owners were nearing retirement or relied upon the business's income for living expenses, obviously a troublesome picture could be presented. The worst-case scenario in this particular market is one where a business owner has to sell, whether it is for health considerations, financial needs, or other concerns. Alternatively, the best-case scenario is if you're an opportunistic well-positioned buyer in the market who is cash rich and looking for distressed companies to buy the largest concern these buyers have is availability of financing to complete the purchase what is yet to be seen is how banks and financial institutions will react in this market are they willing to lend and if they are at what rate and on what terms This leads into discussion as to how deal metrics are being impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. And deal metrics have changed. Again, uncertainty is the cause. Sellers always want a larger percentage of the purchase price in cash at closing, while buyers negotiate in the opposite direction. Given the uncertainty, we're seeing a lower percentage of cash at closing with more of the price placed in escrow or in structured promissory notes. I'll get a little more into this in a moment. Let's talk a little bit about purchase price price adjustments. Purchase price adjustment clauses and M&A agreements have also been impacted. It's largely been held in the industry that a targeted working capital amount equal to the trailing 12 months average of net working capital is the amount the seller is required to have in the business at closing. Anything over the average nets the seller a positive price adjustment, while the opposite is true for a shortage. Buyers look at this as saying that this is normal operating working capital that is necessary in order to conduct the business that they're buying. That's the reason why they have this requirement. But what if in the last four months customers have begun to slow down their payment cycles? Most m agreements stipulate that only accounts receivable that is less than 90 days old is part of the calculation and is viewed in the Networking Capital Calc. This could negatively impact the calculation for you. The same is true for inventory. If you've been unable to secure materials inventory for production, or if your production has slowed down and you're no longer carrying your ordinary historical amount of inventory, Networking capital amount could be affected, could be less than what you res- would normally require at closing, which would result in a negative price adjustment. So, if buyers are paying less cash up front and my business value is lower than it otherwise would be due to COVID, and I have an immediate need for cash, what options are available to me? Well, you can entertain the use of an earnout clause in the MA agreement. Earnouts increase the purchase price post-closing to reward the seller for future business performance based on revenue, margins, or some other profit metric. They're most often used to capture the upside following a temporary decline in the business or if new business has just been secured but for which the financial gains haven't been realized. The value of the earnout is calculated at a future specified date in the agreement based upon the performance of the company, and can result in an increase in the purchase price. Buyers view this as a positive given that they are not paying for something that hasn't been proven, while also gaining some comfort that the seller has confidence that the business being acquired is as it was represented. The greatest issue with earnouts is the negotiation between the parties and the viewpoint that each party has about the industry going forward. If the parties don't view the industry the same and the future prospects in the industry the same, it can be difficult to reach an agreement. Another option for a small business that is in a position of having to sell in a down market may be to sell only a partial minority interest. This would raise cash for immediate needs, yet provide the opportunity for additional cash at a more healthy valuation once business returns to normal. I alluded earlier to how uncertainty in the market has affected the percentage of cash at closing that's being seen in transactions right now. Large reason for this is material adverse effect clauses. If you're the buyer, once you've paid something, cash for something, it's gone. Buyers want to protect their investment. Before COVID-19, material adverse effect clauses were seldom of significance because they seldom came into play. Not to say that they weren't part of the agreement, it's just that they were not frequently put into effect. Now they've become a focal point of discussion. Customer supplier representations and contracts have come under scrutiny. Does a customer have an out in the contract that allows them to get out of agreement in case of a pandemic? What about your suppliers? If a given supplier closes down and there's limited production for your required materials, is there a financial consequence? A recent example of how a material adverse effect clause can come into play is the recent case of Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret had reached an agreement to sell a majority stake in the company to Sycamore Partners, a private equity firm. In the case of Good Foresight, Victoria's Secret's attorneys Put a pandemic carve-out clause from the material adverse effect language in the agreement, which would exclude pandemics from being a reason that Sycamore partners could back out of the transaction. Obviously, when COVID-19 hit, Sycamore didn't want to go through with the transaction as the business was undoubtedly going to be affected. Now, Victoria's Secret could have compelled Sycamore through litigation to complete the transaction the agreement was valid and enforceable, but they chose to instead abandon the transaction altogether. The primary reason given was that Victoria's Secret stockholders didn't want to be a minority stockholder in the company following the sale of Sycamore, the majority owner, as it would create an uncomfortable partnership going forward. But one can't help but wonder that if they had if the sale was for 100% of the company, whether they had abandoned the transaction at all. There are ways to mitigate the challenges um, of COVID-19 that and what is presented in the market. One way is to rewrite or amend your buy-sell agreements. These should review, be reviewed every couple of years as a best practice anyway to ensure that they are all encompassing of any events that have or are now foreseen to affect the business. Another way to mitigate challenges of COVID is to establish backup and contingency plans. Review your systems and backup capabilities, explore remote capabilities for online ordering, counting processes, et cetera. Many companies only access a fraction of what their system software capabilities are. You know, this is with any type of box uh, software that you're using for financial purposes or whatever. Maybe you're only using certain elements or modules within those uh, softwares. So it's a time to reevaluate that to see if there's opportunity there to uh, to move into a more remote service capability or to enhance your technological capabilities to uh, to deal with a pandemic or if a pandemic occurs again in the future. Another way is to pay attention to supply chain concentration with your vendors. It's been proven to be every bit as important as customer concentration and has an effect on business value. If you're a manufacturer and you have the physical space, you should ask yourself if now's the right time to bring some of that outsourced manufacturing capability in-house. Also ask yourself, is there an opportunity to upgrade your management team? A strong management team attracts buyers. Kathy alluded to this earlier. Now may be a time to perform an assessment of how your management team performed during the pandemic. And ask yourself, could it have been better? Another thing you can do is to exercise some capex discipline. If you have the resources take the opportunity to invest in technology and remote capabilities especially if your hold period for the business is several years production equipment investments may be something you're able to defer until future years until the pandemic settles down you can also review your safety manuals are you providing a safe work environment for your employees also consider a mix of full and part-time employees if it's applicable to manage the business in expenses and expenses in distressed times, it can provide much needed flexibility if we were to have another relapse of the pandemic. And the last one here is a biggie. You should review your insurance policies. Many business interruption policies do not include pandemics, but only perils due to natural causes and damage due to riots, looting, etc. There are ways to exploit opportunities uh, provided by the COVID-19 in this market. If your business has proven to be pandemic resistant or flourish in this market, you can be positioned to command a premium if you to execute a transaction. Several industries including home remodeling and trucking transportation industries have performed well. Seeing how an industry and the businesses within that industry performed in a tough market can make the business more attractive as a steady, reliable cash flow and which may complement the seasonal elements of other businesses that you have. The next two opportunities are directed towards family-owned businesses. The in-place 2020 gift estate tax lifetime exemption of $11.58 million is scheduled to drop back to 5 million on January 1st, 2026. It can happen sooner if a new administration and Congress pass new legislation. If you're contemplating a family transaction and the value of your company is substantial to where the 11.58 million thresholds in play, you may want to take advantage of the opportunity while it's here no one can predict what will happen with income tax rates or gift tax exclusion limits in the future however in an otherwise uncertain business climate the opportunity to execute a family transaction may be one of the few positives available with that let's launch our fourth and final poll Polling question number four, do you plan on transitioning company ownership? Yes, within the next six months. Yes, within the next six to 12 months. Yes, but not within the next 12 months. No, or you're not sure. Today's discussion has been focused on business valuations, which is one component of business transition, transition in succession planning. If you'd like more resources about business transitions, visit aghuniversity.com. Our Business Transition On-Demand section has additional webinars on management succession and business valuations. Additionally, aghlc.com succession has a link to our succession plan readiness assessment. We also have a Business Transition section on our resources page as well. Finally, aghoneshot.com is our succession planning mistakes blog. All of the posts are based on real-world issues that crop up when a business owner fails to take a holistic and long-term approach to their succession planning process.